0: the following podcast is brought to you by astro panda productions for more information or to find other great shows visit astropandaproductions.com or
1: visit the astro panda productions page on blogtalkradio.com episode 186, Adria Walden, Black Girl in a Big Dress. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Last year, I discovered an upcoming web series called Black Girl in a Big Dress, created and starring, um, created by and starring Adria Walden. So now that the first season has been released, I wanted to have her back and talk about her experience. So stick around one second. We'll hear from our sponsors, and then I will introduce Adria. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to our sponsors. We do appreciate it. And right now, with no further ado, the lovely and talented Adria Walden. How you doing, Adria? I'm great. How are you? I am doing okay. I'm doing all right. Um, so I think you're doing really, really good because <laughs> Black Girl in a Big Dress seems to have found an audience.
0: It did. It's been a crazy, awesome ride. I'm so happy about it.
1: So last time we talked, we just had a couple short clips getting ready to put it out. Yes. Uh I believe that was September of last year. When did you actually roll out the show? Uh
0: we rolled out the show in October of last year. Yes, October of last year. 8 episodes for season 1 and it kind of took off like crazy. It was really it was really exciting. I was Um, I suppose you should never say that you don't expect your own work to do really well, but I was expecting like, Oh, my friends will definitely like this. Um, But it's just, it's, it's taken off. We have more than 2 million views across all platforms. There's about 50,000 Facebook fans. Um, And the engagement has been amazing. It's been amazing. I've done, you know, stand up and storytelling and sketch and improv and stuff like that for a long time. And when I've posted content in the past, the comments tend to be, you know, like, ha super funny, love it. But the messages and the comments that I've gotten from this show have been amazing. Just people absolutely relating to the character and the world and being so excited about it. Um, it's been it's been awesome. I've had it's been great. Yeah.
1: Well, I know when, like, my, when I list you as like a follow Friday on Twitter or something, a
0: mm-hmm. couple of
1: my friends started, you know, watching your show after that. Mm-hmm. And one guy I never thought would even look at it raved <laughs> about it for like a month and a half. Um, so let's let's do this real quick for people who didn't catch you last time or haven't heard about it, which doesn't seem to be a lot of people. What is Black Girl in a Big Dress about?
0: Uh, Black Girl in a Big Dress is a web series about an awkward African American Anglophile. Um, cosplayer in love with the victorian era who is trying to navigate 21st century dating with 19th century ideals so it's this woman who loves the etiquette and fashion and um all that stuff of the victorian era goes to lots of historical reenactment events and is desperate to find the heightened romance of a victorian novel um but is having a hard time doing that in the age of tinder
1: that does sound like a rough time to do that. You can't just like write, <laughs> write love sonnets and send over that way. Yep. So you do actually get to play around with some stereotypes, cultural yeah. stereotypes. Yeah. I mean, the the idea of, here's the thing, my experience has been very different, but most people think of black people writ large as being you know, streetwise and hip and gangster, or edgy, or kind of bullshit shoe we can stuff on Your yeah. character's very different, and as I understand it, you in real life are very different from some of those <laughs> ideas. Yes. Well, I was going to ask real quick here because of that. I mean, what kind of audience have you found? I mean, are people of color watching your show? Is it general across the board? What have you discovered your viewership to be?
0: The viewership has been so. Unbelievably diverse and amazing. So the first thing I discovered was that there is actually an enormous historical reenactment, um, historical re- historical reenactor of color community, mm-hmm. which I did not actually really realize. Um, there are huge numbers of people of. Of all, of all backgrounds who really enjoy everything from Renaissance fairs to, you know, historical teas to Civil War reenacting to Revolutionary War reenacting to Jane Austen dances, huge number of people who actually enjoyed it in general. And then the number of people of color in this community is also pretty extraordinary. It's, um, it's awesome. It's been really awesome. One of the thing, one of my favorite moments was, uh, so the the main character which i play wears this um, victorian era ball gown throughout uh, most of the episodes and i don't actually sew myself and so i found just through etsy um a, a dressmaker and and hired her to build this dress and didn't really think much of it i sort of like she had the exact right um silhouette that i was looking for so we worked together great got the dress kind of went on with my life i sent her a couple of pictures from set And I didn't tell her when I bought the dress, I didn't tell her what it was for. So I was like, oh, I hope she's okay that, you know, this, you know, black girl's putting on this dress to do this weird little web series. And then I found out once I found her on Facebook that she was black too. And her whole thing is just building these, you know, historically accurate period dresses. And it was just an awesome, an awesome coincidence to find out that this woman who I'd never seen also just happened to be another African-American woman into the exact same stuff that I'm in, which was awesome. Oh, but the audience in general has been... So incredibly diverse, all races, all ages, all backgrounds. Um, I, the number of the, 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 they also span the political spectrum, which I also find super fascinating because I definitely talk about stuff in the series I think could be considered pretty typically liberal. I talk about racism. I talk about stereotypes and the show has just, there's a, a, a sizable audience that I would uh, considered to be on the more conservative side of the political spectrum. they like it. liberals like it, guys like it, girls like it. it's it's been awesome. It's been really um, uh, meaningful to be able to connect with so many different types of people.
1: Yeah, I am actually glad to hear that you found a wide audience. I I fear right now live in such a polarized time you only yeah. get like one one set of your listeners yeah,
0: yeah. That's what made me it actually made me feel like I'm like, all right. If the if all of us can connect over a shared love of like Jane Austen, then there's hope for the country. We can do this.
1: Yeah. That's yes. I, I certainly appreciate your Sunday dinner on this matter. Thank you. Oh, so season one ends, you've got about two million views, and are you preparing a second season? What's your what's your plan going forward right?
0: Uh, We're preparing a second season. I am hoping to be able to release it about the same time. So in October, again, this really just requires me finishing writing these episodes right now. Um, That's what I need to, to get myself to do. I didn't initially plan for a second season because initially I wanted it to be Basically a really elevated writing sample. I live and work in Los Angeles as a screenwriter. And even in this age of diversity where people are – where word on the street is, you know, everyone's looking for, you know, diverse writers and women writers and and women writers of color, um, I I found that I was still often getting asked to produce work that – that kind of fell more in line with what with sort of stereotypical um, black experiences, which is just not my experience. I grew up in a neighborhood called Breckenridge and I grew up listening to show tunes and playing the flute and speaking French. And I, that was just, we went to Disney world a lot and that was just kind of my life. And so while I appreciate um, some of the, the, the stories that other writers have to tell, it's just not a story that I personally have to tell. And so that was really frustrating when I was going to meetings and, and, all, all of us were just getting frustrated that I couldn't deliver this kind of material. So I was like, you know what? I just want to make something that is all the things I love, which is like big dresses and British stuff and sketch comedy and being awkward about romance. And um and and so I initially initially intended for just to be an elevated writing sample. And then it, it took off and kind of built this life of its own. And so, yeah. So now I'm moving forward with with getting a second season together.
1: That's awesome. So doing this, kind of walk me through the steps that you took to create the show. I mean, obviously you write it, but kind of give us just kind of an encapsulated idea of how you went about putting the series.
0: Yeah. Um, so one of, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the other challenges I was having in town was – I, as a writer, really don't have a lot of interest in directing. And I was finding that a lot of directors had a very strong interest in writing. And so I wanted to, I didn't have any desire to direct this. And was hoping to find a director who was very interested in directing other people's work and not their own work. And I happened to have a friend from work who was in that exact position. She was a director who didn't, was not overly interested in writing her own work. I'm a writer who is not interested in directing my own work. And so reached out to her and and asked if she wanted to direct this. And she said, yes. And then she brought a lot of the, um, she went to film school. I did not actually go to film school. So she um, rallied some of her friend's school, peeps to come on and crew and and that was kind of how we put the crew together i wrote it on purpose to be very shootable in my house and things that i already had access to because i didn't want to have to worry about getting permits or doing a lot of location scouting so it was it was designed to be very easy to shoot in terms of locations and in terms of cast most of the scenes are two-person scenes there's one party scene and one three-person scene but most everything is a two-person interaction uh, and that was also done very much on purpose. So we put together a shooting schedule. We shot for five days over the course of six weeks, which was, that was actually much more stressful than I think I thought it was going to be. I Moving forward, I would much rather just shoot all in a row rather than spread it out over weekends is what we did. And uh, yeah.
1: We so when, we, when you shoot something like that, mm-hmm. so whatever your sets are, mm-hmm. when you would did this, did you like, okay, today we're filming in that bathroom, whatever. Yeah. And now we do all the scenes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I would go nuts doing that.
0: <laughs> yes. So very much out of sequence, very much location based. And then um, one the woman who plays Liz, she doesn't actually live in Los Angeles. So it was this really wonderful Venn diagram of like, okay, all the locations were always available because it was my house. Mm-hmm. But was she going to be in town was the weather cooperating? We had to change a couple shoot days for the the garden scene because we were expecting rain. Um, and so yeah, so just that the the scheduling fun of everyone was a working professional. So the my camera crew was working professional. Uh, my director and I, we both you know were working, um, and my actors were also all working. So it was this really fun, um, you know um, air traffic control grid of just trying to get the right things to line up on the right days. But yeah, but started with location. Like we're going to shoot out the living room. We're going to shoot out the bathroom. We're going to shoot out the yard. And, um, the order of where those c- scenes came in the series didn't, didn't actually matter so much.
1: Yeah. That would be the hard thing for track. That's one of the elements of me making me mm-hmm. making that always is baffling is how to you track of, okay, so we're shooting, you know, eight scripts, all mm-hmm. the scenes in this room we're gonna do right now. Or mm-hmm. you know, basically. Yeah. How do you not get a contier? How you know just all the little elements I would just go yeah. reserve. Did yeah. you did you yeah. learn any tricks that helped you keep that sorted out?
0: Uh, I and mean, I think it helped that everyone on the in the casting crew was a professional who so had done this a bunch of times. Um and so it was kind of used to that sort of thing. I think the fact also that the Scripts were simple in that we didn't have a lot of props. We didn't have a lot of action. So we could just focus on getting into the dialogue, getting into the relationships and then moving on. I think the only thing that that I get the thing that I get the most tripped up about in shooting this way is is as you become more comfortable with people, you start finding more things to do with them in scenes just from an acting point of view. And so sometimes we would shoot things early and then a couple weeks later, I would know this person better and would be like, Oh, like I told, now that I know you better, I totally would have done this other thing when we first, um, we first met, uh, I've told this story before. I don't actually know if I've told it to Ryan, but the, so Ryan, um, Barry plays the main love interest And he and I had actually never met before the first day of shooting. He was recommended by a very good friend. We spoke on the phone a couple times. He was great. His, you know, I've seen his reel and seen his work. He was great. And so he shows up to shoot the first day and he's just really good looking. And like, he's good looking in his pictures, but in real life was like, "Ah!" it was so like, I couldn't talk to him at first. It was so intense and I just wasn't expecting it. And it helped a bit because you know, I'm, I'm in in the show. I, I have a, you know, I'm madly in love with him. And and so it, it helped create the nerves. But it was also really I was like, oh, I really wish we had a little bit more time together or perhaps a different scene um, to ease into this. Because it was it I would have, I think, had a very different performance now than I did that first time that we shot.
1: <laughs> it's just the idea that you know. One time I met Aaron Gray. I don't know who that is, but Jim Buck Rogers and some mm-hmm, other stuff mm-hmm, as a kid, mm-hmm. and I couldn't get two words out of my mouth. Oh my, my wife gosh. actually had to walk up and say he's trying to get a pic- or an autograph from. Me. <laughs> I'm just like, uh. so I it's certainly so understand funny. being, you yeah. know, struck just on somebody's look.
0: It's really dark and You don't expect it because you're like, I'm a, I'm a smart, capable person. I understand that you know people are good looking, but then sometimes it just catches you off guard, and you're like, oh my god. Ah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I certainly get that. Yeah. So, so you had a positive experience, is what you're saying. though.
0: Yeah, Yeah. it was all it's all great. Um, (laughs) I'm so happy with how everything came out. And right over over the course of shooting, I think we shot that day and then we didn't shoot together again for a couple of weeks. And then by then, it was like normal and great. And we were having a lot of fun. And it was great. It
1: was just super
0: (laughs) jarring that first
1: day. That's cool. So I'm going to ask you a question that's that's a little goofy, because I don't understand it. But when you start getting lots of views on you generate like advertising income or anything?
0: I do not, because I did not set it up that way.
1: Aha, okay.
0: I, um, it wasn't my goal to make money from it, and so literally, it was just sort of like, of all the things that I have to worry about to get this thing produced, I just didn't want to have to add that one other thing to the list. Sure. I was like, it's not my goal to make money. I don't want to figure out how ads work, so.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. I I understand that, but at the same time it's getting harder for filmmakers and people to make money if they're artistical, yes. which is weird because it's getting easier for bloggers and, you know, like top 10 YouTubers to make money. Yes. Yeah. 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 So something that, that's, it's an the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. so I'm always baffled by arts are important. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how do yes. we, how do we make it so people can, you know, self perpetuate as an artist?
0: Oh, it's so tricky. And it's interesting because I have worked, my whole career for large entertainment brands, I've worked for Nickelodeon, Disney and DreamWorks. And so it's been very interesting to be on both sides of it, to be on the totally corporate, um, you know, huge budgets. Everyone knows whatever it is you're working on projects. And then also to be working on the totally independent level of, yeah, the, you know, big borrowing and steel model and and doing what what you can. It's been, it's been super interesting just to be kind of straddling both worlds at the same
1: time. Yeah. And see, most of the filmmakers that I know are guys mm-hmm. that you know, do $10,000 horror movies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is still kind of incredible because if you just go back 20 years, $10,000 mm-hmm. wouldn't buy your film. Right. Yeah. It's It's a liberating time, but at the same time, the profit margin and everything's been reduced.
0: Yes. There's just so much. There's so much content. There's so many different ways to watch it. Um that yeah capturing capturing a market and then turning it into into money it's just a a different set of skills and a sort of separate thing to have to think about um yeah, I would't I know who I was talking to but um, I don't remember who it was talking to or if I just saw it on Facebook or if it was an article, but it was talking about how if they were running a film program at like a you know school or university that they would definitely include in there how you know. Ways to make the business side of it work, and ways to to make money, and um, how to you know how to get paid for your creativity because you can. It's just a different different set of skills. And
1: it's a it's a different time. It's, everything is so in flux. It's hard to uh, hard to adapt. I have to. And some people seem to bumble to it, and yeah. other people seem to have it just nailed down. Here's yeah. here's what you do. Adria, mm-hmm. how did you get word out about your? Sh- what did you do to you know market and?
0: Oh my goodness I did what did I do this is a great question <laughs> I I think I did all the I, did, I don't think I did anything overly extraordinary it did the normal stuff you know posting about it Facebook Twitter, Instagram um, after the episodes started coming up coming out, I ran ads on Facebook for the first two weeks and then after that, I did not need to run ads anymore because it just traveled under its own weight. By that point, there was a time when I was adding about a thousand likes or a thousand fans a day. And by about the release of the third episode, I stopped running ads because it was just working under its own weight, which was amazing. Uh, But Facebook ads was the short, is the short version of that. I did a couple of Twitter ads and that didn't go any, that didn't seem to do much for um, me and my audience, but Facebook ads, and then, and then, yeah, and then it kind of took off.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, on and off, I've run a few different podcasts mm-hmm. and it's funny because depending on like one, one's about the, uh, Canadian TV gas, which most of America haven't seen. No, but it sounds awesome. Oh, it's, it's great. It's about this little town in Saskatchewan where, you know, it's just like 500 people in this town and kind of the, yeah. the half hour misadventures of the seven. That sounds awesome. But, um, that Twitter didn't really catch on with it, but the Facebook group moved to 500 people a weeks. Yeah. Um, But now, you know, I've started another show with uh, a former pro wrestler named Bobby Blaze. Oh, and, awesome. and we're doing top 10 lists of pro wrestling. It's mm-hmm. not getting anywhere on Facebook, but Twitter, mm-hmm. we got 200 followers on the front.
0: Isn't that amazing? It, Just with yeah. the little audiences live, yeah. It,
1: it, it, to me, something should be repeatable, you know? And I'm finding mm-hmm. out, that, like, the more I the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know anything about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's Like
0: you gotta stay you gotta stay open, you gotta stay curious yeah. um, because because it's just those particular fans and everyone because there's so much and so many different ways to do social media now, everyone experiences it differently and it's so interesting to me how just different um, interest groups just how they interact and where they interact and that's fascinating.
1: yeah. It it blows me away because I would think, well, once you learn how to do it, Mm -hmm. you do it again, right? Well, that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case. No, no,
0: no. Um, So yeah, so yeah, so I think about that as I work on season two. I'm like, all right, well, let's see if it's if it does the same thing, or if it's or if it's going to be a totally different experience. It's hard to know. Mm
1: -hmm. So doing primarily Facebook ads, starting off there, were you involved in the Russian hacking of our election?
0: <laughs> it was all me. Sorry, that was sorry about that, everybody. Me. Oh, whoops! I was just trying to get people to watch my web series.
1: Oh God! Yeah, yeah. I'm just these days. I'm I'm just kind of down in the dumps because, like, everywhere I look, it just seems to be full of bad news. <laughs> you know? I'm
0: saying, Yeah, I've spent the last week being very um, sad on social media, and I'm trying to I'm trying to force myself to turn it around and and find who. The not the silver lighting, that's the absolute wrong phrase, but the all the other things that are that that individuals are doing that are awesome and all the awesome creativity that's out there. I'm trying to force myself to turn it around and start posting about that kind of stuff again. Um, I've, I've had my I've had I've had my share of Facebook arguments, I think, for quite a while so,
1: and it doesn't get you anywhere.
0: It does not. No. The, the one reason I do ask myself, Inchria, why do you keep engaging in these conversations? And the one thing that is important to me is to show people who may not be responding that you can disagree about stuff and still be civil about it. And that's always my goal is to be civil and kind and as empathetic as I can. And, you know, um, pre- present, facts and personal stories um and show and just model constructive conversation i don't know if anyone picks up on it i don't know if anyone listens to it but that is um yeah that's that is that is a a a thing that i that i that i do think is important so i try to do it when i can and i think i've done as much as i can right now
1: yeah that's uh, you know you're leading by example is what Trying to. Trying to. Well, that's yeah. that's all you can ask of anybody to try to. That's Me, okay. I, I, I kind of get insular and start to shut down this yeah. thing with them kids. And, uh, you know, concentration camps. I'm not going to mince. No, I know. And my wife would get home and go down the list of the stuff she'd read about and heard that day in the news and the other. And literally, I just start shutting down because I'm like, yeah. but what do we do? You know yeah. what? What can you do? And then the yesterday I should have written down this. So yesterday I read an article on Lifehacker, one of those sites, and it was basically all white people are cowards. Oh, and I remember.
0: I read that. I re- yeah. Really
1: no. It was a really good. It was really really good article. But then again, I got to the end of it, and I'm like, but what can I do? You yeah. Know? And so then yeah. I'm just like, just like pull the blankets back up over my yeah. that's, that's what I do. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's my, yeah. I know.
0: That's the other thing I've been trying to switch to is like, okay, what action can I actually? Take to actually try and help, and um, yeah. So I started. I um, it's has this this organization has nothing really to do with the situation at the border, but I was like, I can start giving back my time. So I'm working on like making volunteering a bigger part of my life again, and you know, donating what I can when I can, and calling both with support and with. Um, I'm not good at being antagonistic on the phone, but mm-hmm. I'm good at and saying, hey, so what's so-and-so doing about this problem? And then the aides usually give you some canned response. And But I find that uh, just if, if you are someone like me who does not love talking on the phone and who gets very intimidated by talking to strangers on the phone, um, asking questions and letting them talk is a great way to call and make your voice heard to lawmakers but not actually have to go off on some tangent with them, which is...
1: Yeah. Hard to do. And, and the fact of the matter is, if you lose it and start yelling at them, you're really just yelling intern.
0: Like <laughs> oh. so it's like beleaguered child who's yeah. like I college credit.
1: That's yes. um, you know, I, I, I'm gonna kind of throw this out there. What I've discovered, mm-hmm. um, a lot of my my interview style, it's very conversational. I mean, this is your second mm-hmm. time, William. And I just kind of like let it wander. Let's let's see what's yeah. out there. It actually comes from calling on customers and my well, what was my career? Uh, you know, contractors and my wife picked up on me. What I'll do is when I do this, this reflects on how you're talking about saying something and stopping. Next person, just get. My wife picked up on this after watching me do a couple interviews. She goes, she goes, I can't stand to leave the silence. I go, that's right. You leave it silent, yeah. the other person will talk. Just shut up. Yeah. You just let it go, and they'll that that uncomfortable silence will make the other person start talking. Yeah. <laughs> that's where that's where it all comes out. Yes. So I just wanted to commend you on your telephone style. That if, if you do that and just stop for a minute, the other person will talk or hang up on you. Either way, well, you've done it, your either job. Way.
0: Either way, you've got,
1: yes, you've done what what you needed. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh. All right, Adria. So I, I got to ask some questions about how yeah. you uh, how you ended up being. I mean, obviously, you spoke French. You grew up in a <laughs> upper upper class neighborhood. How did that lead you to a life of <laughs> near Renaissance uh, fetishism? Oh. Fetishism is that uh, the right word? Um, Sure. I'll go.
0: Um, Interest. um, I always, so, okay, I'm thinking about my journey through pop culture. So I, like, I always, I just, I always loved, like, literature and, and, and just holding, I was, I was an only child with a big active imagination. So I loved just going into my room and just reading all day and just getting lost in some other world. So that, that I really liked. And then I think because of the types of stories that I liked to read as a kid, um, once I was introduced to like pop music, it just didn't seem like enough story to me. Like every, like I, you know, kind of came of age in the nineties. And so like every, like, song that like pop on the radio. It's just like, I love you. Do you love me? I love you. I want to get with you. Do you want to get with me? And I was like, this is not, this is just not holding my interest from a story point of view. So then I kind of started finding like punk music. I loved like Troy Amos and, and music that was, that to me just felt like it was about something other than dating. Um, I also was like, not ever good at dating so even in high school like songs about dating were just very stressful because it was uncomfortable um so i liked uh sort of pop pop stuff that was about um other things i loved like the store the movies and tv shows i gravitated toward were always just like a little bit darker and more melodramatic um um, I don't know why School Ties is popping into my head is just right this moment as something that was a movie that was really important to me, but it was. Um, I just liked intensity. And if there was like a little bit of poetry thrown in, that was great. Dead Poet Society, School Ties, like those kinds of shows. Um, and then sort of, I think, naturally, that made me love theater and anything that, anything that was sort of heightened and dramatic and that I think allowed me to be kind of who I wanted to be because I grew up in this straddling so many worlds, right? So I grew up in this like totally white neighborhood. We're the only black family in this neighborhood. Uh, I went to a school that was all white kids except for this one other guy. And I remember when he started, for me, for a while, it was just me. I was the only black kid in my school. And then this other guy started coming to school there. And everyone immediately thought that we were dating. Like they didn't ask me hey, who do you like? Or they were just like, oh, you guys are going out, right? And I was like, why would I be going out with him?" And literally, they were like, because you're both black like that, obviously. And we were young enough that it wasn't malicious. It was just an assumption that they made, because what did they know? What did I know? But it was very, it was like, oh, interesting. I can't Because the kid I was in love with at the time, this was like fourth grade, was like red hair, blue eyes, freckles, like that's the kid I was in love with. But it didn't even occur to anyone that 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 was the guy that I liked. And it was like, oh, wow, people are going to make a lot of choices about me based on – the way that I look, that's OK. Interesting. So then I just started being super, super aware of everything um, that they liked or didn't like and kind of kept wondering, like, am I allowed to like this? Am I not allowed to like this? Because people would tell you straight up, they're like, you can't like Tori Amos, that you should like boys to men. And they were very confused by that whole thing. And the community in like theater and in renaissance fairs is just so Open Like you can be anything and nobody cares. And it was so relaxing. Um, My parents took me to Renaissance Fair for the first time, I think around like fifth or sixth grade. And I think to them, it was just, we have a child, we need to burn off some energy here, Adrienne, go play at this Renaissance Fair. And everyone was so nice to me. And they let me shoot arrows and speak in an English accent and play around with Shakespeare and eat meat pies and do whatever I wanted. And nobody cared what I looked like. They were just so happy and joyful to be doing what they were doing and to teach it to other people. And I was like, oh, these are my people. Great. Got it. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was kind of, kind of the beginning. And now here I am.
1: So so can I hear your English accent?
0: Yeah. Um it's um I mean I'm a bit out of practice because okay. I haven't been um shooting or really doing anything in an accent right now but this is about where it falls um and uh yep yeah, this is about what it tends to sound like um So
1: shooting for a London accent.
0: Yes and I've been told every time I every time I'm in the UK I definitely do that for people and they're like yeah you could pass for being in London it's fine but please stop doing
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what I love is, like, here in America, we, we only have, like, four accents. Mm-hmm. You go, like, oh. to the UK, and every square block has ones. its own. <laughs> and some of them are just ridiculous, like the Geordie accent. Oh, my God. I, I just, like, I, I feel like peeing myself when I hear that. That's and I'm amazing. like, this isn't what we think English people sound like.
0: I know. Yeah. Um, I have a couple. I have a couple of friends who are great friends of mine, but... It is a 1000 we're English, and it is a thousand times easier for me to hear them when I could look at them. Yes. And like, facial expressions, but when we talk on the phone, I get like 90% of what they're saying, and they're like really good friends. And I'm like, how, how does this, how is this happening? Like, we're both speaking English. This is amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, uh, one of our best friends is from Scotland, mm-hmm. and when she first moved to the States with a close friend of mine, they got married in Japan, she English. Uh-huh. When they first moved back here, uh-huh. I couldn't tell you what she was saying. I, yeah. I literally, I would have to watch her mouth move to catch yeah. anything. And yeah. my wife would talk to her on the phone, and yeah. she'd get off the phone. And she'd say, I don't, I don't know what I just do. <laughs> I, I have no. Idea. Now they've been in the states for about ten years, and yeah. the accent starting to, I don't know, would you soften. I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. But what's funny is their oldest daughter fakes an English accent that she sees on BC. Oh and my that, God. That's what cracks me. For a Scottish person, you know that has to be. Annoying.
0: Oh. Oh, my
1: gosh. Yeah. Adria, we are starting to run down on time, so let me thank you for coming back on. It was lovely chatting. I really like having you.
0: Thank you for having me. I love
1: it. If people want to find out more about you or Black Girl in a Big Dress or any other projects you're working on, where can they dig you up at?
0: Um, You can find me. um, This is a great question. Um, You can find me. um, The website is blackgirlinabigdress.com, all spelled out. Um, Instagram is black girl underscore big dress and twitter is blk girl big dress uh and then you can find it facebook black girl and big dress and yeah that's uh those are all me
1: let me see where was i at oh yeah we were closing the show yes that's right i haven't
0: seen solo i don't know i don't know i don't know why people didn't go see it um
1: yeah do you, do you... I don't know, because do you... I, I was on the fence about it, and then I ended up seeing it three times and liking it. Oh, awesome. And I, because, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, I'm from George Lucas's hometown. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I was four when the original Star Wars came out. That's kind of like mm-hmm. a religion for me, and Han Solo was yeah. like my character. That was my guy, mm-hmm. and I was so yeah. afraid of this movie. And yeah. then I went and saw it, and I liked it. Huh. So, I don't know didn't do better, you know? Yeah. I mean... I think Ron Howard might be the safest director on the planet. That's probably part of it. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, that was that. That question went, but a lot of for another moment. We (laughs) got you to tell. Yes. Yeah. All right. So people can find, uh, well, please, everybody listening, if you haven't done so already, go check out Black Girl in Dress. It's a really funny series. Apparently, it's accessible to everybody.
0: Everybody. Yeah. It's
1: great. It's a good time. So that's awesome. Andrea, thank you again. I do appreciate it. Oh, my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, please let me know when the second season's out. I will. Maybe talk again.
0: Yes, I love
1: it. All right. Well, everybody else, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash GeekishCast. I tweet them at the GeekishCast. I do have a website at geekishcast.com, but I haven't updated it in a while because I'm late. And uh, for Adria Walden and myself, Jeremy Vilmer, bye-bye, everybody.